So um, let's get into the actual regular message of this identity in Christ. I want to talk about this. So the more that I've studied this subject, I realized that when I first came into it and did it on the first session that I ever did, there was so much understanding that I actually didn't fully get of it. All that I knew is that way back in the day, all the stuff that I carried, all the bondages and all the pain from my past, I never understood what right standing was. I never understood what God's righteousness was or the righteousness purchased for me. And I took a class in Bible school that was on, it was called um, the Doctrine of Righteousness. And that was when I first started learning about this, something that I never had any understanding of and realizing that through this journey of learning what it means to have our identity be in Christ, that so much has broken off of me just based on that message alone. So each time I've done this, I get more and more revelation. I think the, one of the most times was the last session. I felt like there was an area that I actually didn't, and this is like something that you can't, I mean, everything that Paul wrote about righteousness and, and, and what it is to be in Christ, it's so, so much. And it's like, I can't even try to attempt to break it down. And sometimes I feel like I can't even do this stuff. I'm no theologian to even talk on this stuff, you know? So I do the best that I can and do what has happened in my own life and the things that I learn in this as I study it more and more. So I've kind of changed um, the messages up a little bit and that's why you guys didn't get the curriculum right away is because I added a lot more to it. So what I want to talk about, I'm going to talk about a few different things about this. So talking about the identity in Christ, why did I choose that topic? Because as women, we find that there are many different areas in our lives on where we find our identity. And will we ever get to a position where we fully, no matter what we're doing, we've had full revelation of what it is to have our identity be solely in Christ alone? I don't believe so. And if there's someone who fully is able to walk in that, then I want to applaud them. But I think that is not something that we fully will ever have complete revelation of until we get to heaven. But we can have bits and bits and more of revelation as time goes. Like I've talked about with Paul, you know, he was taken, um, went away for three years. And what was said to believe that he was having, um, you know, time where God, the Holy Spirit, was speaking to him. And he was learning what it was to, what it was to, um, righteousness was. What was what Jesus purchased? And so that's what I think is a lot behind why Paul was so zealous and went after the things of God and never needed marriage, never had kids and was willing to go against any suffering is, is because I believe that he was a man that had full revelation of righteousness and what this is. So what it shows to me, if it took three years of him alone with God, there's a lot for us to understand and know about this topic. And I will do the best I can in it. And I want to break it down in a few different ways. I want to talk about um, because there's so much to this topic, I'm going to quickly like hit stuff to kind of get through what I think are the big nuggets of it, because this is definitely something that should be talked about for many, many, many multiple times and not one session of 40 minutes, but I will talk about what's on my heart for this specific session in order to introduce this topic to you. But again, this needs to be something that we purpose and choose to study out ourselves and, um, and try to get more more um, knowledge on it ourselves. So talking about righteousness, I want to talk about the restoration of what Adam lost. I want to go back a little bit. 
So it says in Romans 5.19, because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. So what does that mean? So we go back to the garden, and without trying to get into all, um, you know, Old Testament survey, um, when Adam sinned, and what you will find is when, when I talk about in Genesis 3, where you find that the devil comes to Adam and Eve, or to Eve specifically, and wants to tempt her and get her to do things, you're going to realize that one of the main things that the devil is going after is her identity of who she is. He knows that the moment that sin comes into this world, the moment that they're going to lose their relationship with God. So the first thing they're going to, he's going after is their position, their spiritual position. Because at that time, they were perfect communion, perfect relationship with God. There was no sin, nothing that was in between them. So what was the first thing they lost? It says in, I think it's Genesis 2, or no, it is in Genesis 3, that after they sinned, the first thing they felt was shame. So shame was not even anything they would experience because sin had not entered the world. What's interesting about that is that we'll find in our own lives, what's the first thing when we do something that the enemy wants to cover us in is shame. So I look back at that and see this is where the enemy came in to, to steal that position and put shame on them. So look at Hebrews 10, 19, and 22. I think I did put this on your, your outline. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most high place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have had a high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God. So I want to... Stop here and talk about this for a second. So this is going to take us back to the Old Testament and why they're referring to the curtain into the most holy place and how Jesus removed that. So I've been studying out the law and why I want to study about the law of Moses was because I realized that was an area that like I took that class in school and I completely blanked out on the book of Leviticus. It was so boring to me. The book of Leviticus is all about all the different um, offerings the, the, the law and the, the ways that the, the high priest would go into the tabernacles and, and sacrifice stuff. And I realized, why did I have no interest in that? Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't, to me, I remember zoning out completely in that class, regretting taking it. And now, as I was studying it, I was like eating it up. And I realized why, because I understand the representation of what the law was. The representation of what it was that Jesus fulfilled. And I don't fully believe back then I understood that. So to me, it was all this tedious stuff. All these different, um, there's a bunch of different like offerings that they had to do. Because sin came into the world, they had to, it wasn't just sacrificing an animal. And I remember always thinking, it's just it's a, an animal sacrifice. It was like, I lacked the understanding of it. There's many different offerings that they had to do. Why is that? They even had a guilt offering and a sin offering. What's the difference? They had to go offer up something when you sinned and a different offering for the repercussions of sin. There was an offering for praise. They had to go sacrifice an animal to go praise God. And why do I tell you guys this? Why do I think this is valuable information and important? Because if we understand what people had to do, what priests had to do in order to enter into a position of being in contact and relationship with God was to put these sacrifices to cover their sin in order to make a holy, perfect God able to be in communion with them. And it never washed away their sin. It only covered it. So the blood of these animals were a representation of death. Because this holy, perfect, who God is, cannot be around sin. He cannot do it. This is not 
I, in my head, this is how I always saw this. It was a game. Like what God did with creating this world, I'm being honest with you guys, this really is how I have in thought of it from when I was younger. He positioned things in order to dictate all these things and kind of make this life of me some example. You know, I, everything that I hear, it never really resonated with me. God is perfect and he's holy and he can't be around sin. So this is the way he came up with, before Jesus came, how he could still be in communion relationship with the people that he created because he loved us that much, but sin was in the world and he couldn't. So instead of making us die for those sins, we sat, they sacrificed an animal, which was a representation of death. And it never took the sin away. It covered it so they could be in the presence of God, in the Holy of Holies, and they could be in his presence and able to talk to him. And so I never have gone back in on this in past times of speaking, but it just touched me, like reading all this stuff about what the actual offerings meant and what they did and why. Because then I realized I'm like, Jesus is a fulfillment of every single one of these things. And if he didn't cover, he removed the sin from us. So if he had to go into and sacrifice an animal to even praise God, why is praise not that important to us today? They sacrificed an animal in order to go and have communication with their father and praise him. Everything that they walked in for guilt, for the repercussions of the sin, they went into, and it's like all this like ritualistic stuff. I know I'm not explaining it like it should be, but it, it was, it, there's so much tiny, precise things that these priests had to do in order to get and have relationship with God. And this is such a big deal to me because what it shows me is we still do these things. We still do these things in a human way for today. We are still doing things to think that we can achieve relationship and get on God's good side, have relationship with him. There, we, there are still things where we are walking in self-righteousness, where we are still walking under the law. And whether it's, it's not exactly of what scripture says, you know, that's the thing. We'll look at that and we'll be like, oh, you know, this has nothing to do with me. I'm not sacrificing an animal in order to talk to him. Well, there's something else in your life you're sacrificing in order to talk to him. There's other things that you're doing in your life because of guilt and shame, because of the way that the enemy wants to clothe us and make us think of who we are, because we feel that we don't deserve God. We don't come boldly to the throne room. We don't speak to him the way that we should. We have fear of him or we think that he's angry at us. We have to work for his acceptance. We have to work for his deliverance. We have to work for his love. We have to work for uh, maybe him healing us in our body. And so, so studying this out and seeing that all of these were a type and shadow of Jesus. So the reason that this is so broken down so precisely is not to bore us as Christians. It's to represent how big of a sacrifice Jesus' sacrifice was. What it really did in our lives. That's the point of having a whole book on all these things of how they had to present offerings is to represent how the one offering was the perfection and it removed all of these things out of our lives. To me, this is like, okay, it's like you have a bank account. This is a, a, a spiritual, when Jesus died on the cross, this is something we attained. This is who we are. And I'm going to go more into what is right standing, what is righteousness. But this is a, a position that was is ours. 
We are not working for it. We are not to act like the priest did. We are not having to go and do something in order to talk to God, to get closer to God, to get him to heal us, to get him to do with these things. And I heard an illustration like this one time, and I think it was talking about authority over the devil, but it's also perfect for this too, and authority over the devil. But it's like you have a bank account full of money, and you have no idea the money's in there, but it's there. And you have access to it. But because you don't know it's there, you never access that bank account. So this is exactly the, the same idea is this is a spiritual position that we we have it's ours but the lack of knowledge and understanding of this spiritual position is why it's not used and that's why i'm going to talk about protecting this position protecting the knowledge of it and walking in it because it never changes so there's nothing you can do there's no sin you can commit there's nothing that you can do that can change the spiritual position that jesus attained for you which I want to talk about now that position, which is the righteousness of God and the two different parts of righteousness. So there's two different things of righteousness and then I kind of will go into what self-righteousness is. So I want to read Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now God has shown us a way to be right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. <clears throat> so how have we been made right with God? By faith. So nothing that we did, and by faith, what does that mean? When you accepted Jesus into your heart. That was, that's the step you took. That was the faith you took. You were made right with God. There's no working to be right with God. It's a position that you've been given. It is yours. For everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back, <clears throat> was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in time past. So now why is the sacrifice of Jesus the perfection of covering everything that the law was? So <clears throat> there's two different things that Jesus fulfilled. When he, when he walked on earth and he came here to be the sacrifice. He, fought, he, fill, he fulfilled the requirements of the law. So the things that were given to the people in the old covenant, that they were told that they had to, um, whenever they fell from it, they had to bring sacrifice and, and do all this. He fulfilled that to a perfection because he was a deity. His deity being God here on earth, he was a perfection of the law that we could never fulfill no matter how hard we tried, it would be impossible. But he not only fulfilled the law, he fulfilled the penalty of it. So what does that mean? So what was the penalty of breaking the law? So in the Old Testament, it was death and that's why they sacrificed um, an animal to represent death. Well, the, 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 the penalty is hell. It's eternity and hell. And so what is eternity in hell? It is complete removal of relationship with God. You have no relationship, no communication. I, I don't know if you've ever had that felt where you didn't have God in your life and the hopelessness of it. I know I have, and I know it's nothing like what hell would have been. And the only thing I can say that I remember similar to what that felt like was after my sister died. And 
the pain that I felt in anger towards God. And I absolutely would not talk to him. And I would sit in a room with the lights off. I couldn't bathe. I wasn't able to sleep for nights straight for three weeks through the first, I was crazy in my head. And I would sit there and stare at walls. And I remember that psychotic, emotional <clears throat> feeling of ex complete despair and hopelessness. And I can tell you that was the worst days of my entire life was after I lost my sister. And all I can say that wasn't even a bit of what hell and not having any communion and any relationship with God is what we are to endure because of sin that Jesus bore. And when did he bear that? On the cross. So not only did he endure the hell of the punishment, the physical torments, of what he went through. And I used to really focus on the physical torment. I would get, you know, there's scripture in Isaiah um, 53 talking about the pain that he went through, that he was spit on, that he was rejected, that he, um, you know, it, it will make you break down and cry. I mean, have you ever watched Passion of the Christ and really watched what Jesus went through? And that was the thing I used to like grab and sit there and this was how I was going to get revelation of Jesus' sacrifice. And then I realized there was more to what he went through that wasn't even what he bore on the cross. He endured hell now there's different churches and denominations that believe different things with this and i'm not here to introduce a, a doctrine there's some that believe he endured hell on the cross so when he said father father why have you forsaken me that he endured complete separation from the father he did not feel god at all anymore and there's other people that believe he went to hell when he was on off the cross for those three days Whatever you believe, it doesn't make a difference. He endured hell. That is what he went through. He lost complete communion with the Father. He lived the perfect life, endured the most harmful, destructive death, and endured hell on top of it. Endured the, the, the removal of a relationship with God, something that we will never experience in our entire life. So when you look at the sacrifice of God, of, of Jesus, you're looking at not only did he fulfill the law, he fulfilled the penalty, something that we could never do. There's no way. You're either going to fulfill the penalty and you would have died and gone to hell. That was a penalty of your sin. Or you're going to be uh, trying to live a perfect life as a penalty of that. His sacrifice was perfection. So why does the enemy want to keep us from understanding and knowing the perfection of the sacrifice of Jesus? Because on the cross, the devil lost any hold that he would ever have on us. Any, any hold that he would ever have. When you give your life to God, he lost his hold. So why does it not feel like the devil loses his hold? Why? A lack of knowledge. We can't say the devil ruined our life. Like, there's a lot of stuff I can, I will tell you 100% the devil did in, in my life. But you know what? I never knew it was him. And so that's where he gained so much ground is I was blaming everything on God. So the biggest area you're going to find to wit cripples us in this position, a spiritual position that we always have. No matter what, you're in that position right now. It's talked about a robe, a garment. Righteousness in the Bible is talked about how it's on you. Now, there's two types of righteousness. You have imparted righteousness and you have imputed righteousness. So when Jesus died on the cross, there was you gained the righteousness of God and it was imputed to you, meaning it was put into your account. It is yours. It is who you are in the spirit realm. So it's the position you hold. So that means that you've been clothed. You're clothed in that righteousness. So when Jesus, when God sees you, he is looking straight at Jesus' sacrifice. There you are behind it. So he sees what Jesus did, and that's how he is able to 
um, you have relationship with us. Why the veil was torn and talking about the, the veil in the tabernacle that the priests used to stand behind. That's what the veil is representing. What is keeping them, you know, behind it. And then you have um, imparted righteousness, which is then the lifestyle that you live. Now, this is where people get into self-righteousness and the difference behind that and why the lifestyle of righteousness, the imparted righteousness that we gain, can turn into a prideful position. It can turn into legalism. It can turn into um, a lot of different things in our lives. And here's how I want to separate it. You're in, the imparted righteousness in the life we live should flow out of our spiritual position. This should not be something we are fighting for and fighting for and fighting for in order to do it for ourselves because this is something we're attaining, we're doing. It should come out of a revelation of the sacrifice of Jesus and the reality of what he gave up and what we have, it should flow out. So things and areas in our lives that are so hard, whether it's a bondage or something out, is something else should always flow out of the sacrifice of Jesus. It's not out of our own doing. It's not out of our own thing. And that's what the enemy wants to get us. He wants to get us in a position where we're trying. We're trying to be righteous. We're trying to work for God. We're trying to attain these things when it should flow out of the, the spiritual position we have. But because of the lack of knowledge of the spiritual position and we get in our head, about being sanctified, being holy, working after these things. We get into a place of self-righteousness, of us trying to attain it. <clears throat> so, which religion is a perfect example of that. And how... You know, you look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the, in the Old Testament, and those were the ones that were always combating Jesus. Everything that Jesus did was wrong. You did something, you know, how is healing on Sunday? Okay, you know, the, the law, the legalism, that's why we have to be so um, careful of that in our own lives and areas that we are operating out of stuff that we're, we're trying to attain ourselves. Because once we gain in realization of this position that is ours, it makes it easy. It makes it easy. And you'll see in your own life that the enemy wants to clothe us. And I specifically always feel like it's clothing us in guilt and shame. Because he knows that spiritually the position that we are clothed in is we have a garment of um, righteousness over us. And garment of salvation that we are completely covered. The enemy wants to tell us and put guilt and shame on that. And make us think that we lost that and we don't have it. And I want to talk about putting righteousness on and what that really means. Because, really, it's a position we have. So why is it talked about in Ephesians 6 as one of the, the armor's pieces is, um, how did I just forget what, the breastplate of righteousness. I was like, I forgot what part of the, um, it, it talks about, you know, it's talking about putting on this armor and the breastplate of righteousness. And why do I think that it says put it on? Is it something that we ever lost? No. It's something that is ours. All these things that are ours. But we have to purpose, purpose to gain revelation, purpose to stand in our knowledge of it. So if this is a protection guarding my front, in my back, my righteousness, it's guarding me from the inside that I can go up against the enemy with this guard, with this guard. So why is this so, so important that Paul wants to talk about? This is something that we put on when we're coming against the enemy. Well, all I know is this area right here, I can be taken out real quick and die because that's guarding my heart. So there's something I got to think about guarding my body right here. 
Because that is a big, big revelation to stand in. And the enemy knows he cannot come against our right standing. He absolutely hates it. Why? Because it's a position he wanted. We have been made in the image of God. We are reflecting his glory. And I'm going to talk about that scripture in a second. That is what Satan wanted from the get-go. He wanted to be like God. And here God has created us to walk in his image and reflect him on the inside of us. And the devil knows the power that God has placed on his people, on his children, on this earth. And the enemy knows that we have full authority over him through Jesus Christ, through what was attained at the cross. So why is he going to so hard fight us on this position? Because this is also the key to walking in authority, to coming against any of his schemes. It's all going to be about your position and your right standing. Okay, 2 Corinthians three seventeen and 18, talking about being made into his glorious image. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Lord, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of you have been who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. So talking about the veil again, this is also um, a representation of bondage of the law, because in the Old Testament the veil was also um, in the tabernacle, but it's also representing the um like keeping you from god so it's a veil there that is keeping um you know the people from being able to come into communication with with god and be in relationship with him and it's being represented as over ourselves as well which is the bondage of law well how many of us have a veil still over our faces there's many different types of veils that the enemy wants to put on our faces that he wants to put over us that that is a veil keeping us from this right standing in this position with God. Whether it's lies that we believe, whether it's bondages, whether it's guilt and shame, whether it's something that he's placed in our lives to make us think that we are still behind this veil, that we are still covered with this bondage. And it talks about the glory of the Lord and the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him. So the veil has been removed and you can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him, and we are changed into his glorious image. And what does it mean to be changed into his glorious image? So that shows me it's a process. I am changed into it. So that's where you talk about sanctification and talk about, you know, you, you're reflecting the glory of God. And whenever I talk about this scripture, how I like to talk about it, the more stuff that is uprooted in our lives and lies are removed, guess what? You begin to reflect the glory of God. You begin, it is a reflection that comes off of you. And I have taught, said this, I don't think in here, but I've said this in another time of speaking how, you know, in the past I had given my life to God, but if you looked at me, I reflected pain and hurt and death and depression and so this scripture would have been like this means nothing to me yeah right I don't reflect this can't mean anything mm. but it talks about it as it's a journey mm. so I know that I had given my life to God but I was still broken and hurt and I still I'm not saying I'm not in there's still stuff I deal with but when I was really really bad there was nothing you would see on me that reflected God people were actually scared of me I didn't have a lot of people who didn't really want to talk to me or have anything to do with me because of the way of what I reflected. But where did that go back to? I didn't fully understand that God loved me. I didn't fully understand of the position that he gave for me because how do we understand the love of God? We go back to the sacrifice of Jesus. In fact, 
that he gave up his son to do all this and fulfill this law and fulfill all these things just so that we could be in relationship with him. So that we didn't have to keep sacrificing stuff to talk to him. So we didn't have to sacrifice an animal to praise him. That we could just choose to praise him in his in our car when we drove. So that we could just choose to praise him when we woke up in the morning. He, he did this so that we could come to him and not have to put all these things before him in order to get there. That shows me his love. I don't even need a huge, big experience. I can look at that and say, that shows me your love. I didn't have understanding of that. I didn't have revelation of what Jesus attained for me. And so what did you see reflect off of me? You saw a reflection of pain and hurt and anger, resentment towards God, blaming God for the things in my life. And this talks about reflecting his glorious image. And that is what we are to expect to reflect. But what does it mean and how do we get there? In my experience, it's re- it's meant the removal of the pain in my life. It's meant the removal of the things that I've been through, through revelation and understanding the power of God and just letting him do it. Has it been through my own head knowledge? Has it been through me just studying and doing this or showing? No, it's been through the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit coming in and severing things off of me because why? I positioned myself in a place to get it. And that's a big thing. You ladies choosing to do something like this, you're positioning yourself in a place to get it. And a lot of times, we as a church don't position ourselves. We go do what we like to do, what we want to do. And how did I position myself? I left the state and ended up in Bible school. And I was still jacked up and I was on all the pills and I was smoking through my classrooms. But guess what? I positioned myself. I didn't have to work to be there. I didn't have to get rid of my smoking. I didn't have to remove all the bad things that I was doing. I didn't have to get healed from my past in order to attain that and be able to be in Bible school and hear the word of God. No, I came broken, but I positioned myself to hear it. And I may have ditched the whole almost first year, but guess what? I was still having breakthrough. And I was still having stuff removed off of me because I was still positioning myself every now and then that first year and coming in. And I would feel it come off of me. I would sit in class and be like, I could feel like hope coming back. I may felt help that day. I remember the first time that I went to this place called Breaking the Chains of Bondage the first year that I was in school. And, um, you know, I just, the only way I can describe myself, you guys, I'm sorry, it's jacked up. Like, I don't know how to fully tell you what, how bad I was. I don't know how to explain it. And so all I knew is, and I still heard from God, you know, I still felt like I was supposed to go to Bible school. I still felt like I was supposed to go to this conference. You know, sometimes we, we, we think into these things a little too much about hearing from God. He wasn't sitting there shaking my head. It was just like, I feel like I'm supposed to go to this, smoking my cigarettes on my way there. Like we can still hear from God, even in our mess. And I went to it and I had, it was breaking the chains of bondage. I went up to the woman, we went through these things and I said, you know what? I've got some bondages like you have no idea. And I'm not even tell you what happened to me at it. I freak, yeah, I'm not even gonna say what happened to me at it. All I can tell you is the next day, I remember getting on the phone to my dad and I said, I feel love in my heart for the first time in my life. I felt the feeling of love and I had never felt it. And I don't know how to explain what it was. It was something in my heart where I felt something different. And so he was starting to break chains. He was starting to do things. Why? Because I positioned myself. I didn't work for any of it. What did I do? I obeyed. And so that's what we're called to do. This isn't to put us in a position of what all do we have to do to get this, to get this. We get in a position to let God reveal himself to us and what Jesus did for us. The breakthrough comes from that. But the devil has his strategy 
all of time is going to be to steal this from us. It's not just to oppress you today with depression, oppress you this way with addictions. It's to steal who you are, your spiritual position, what Jesus did, and how much God loves you. And why does he want to steal that? Because when you lack that, all the addictions, the depression, all that stuff's going to come out of it. That's so we got to go for the root. We got to go for the underneath. We got to go for the stuff that is, that is the place that God has given us, that he is, is, is gifts that he's placed on us, that the devil has spent all the time that we've been alive working to take from us. And I know that's what he's done to me. And I know that's what he was after with me. That's why he hates this topic so much because he knows that as soon as somebody has it, they're going to, they're going to gain their life back and they're going to walk in more victory. Things are going to start changing in their life when they're, when they step into the knowledge of their spiritual position. So what does it mean to protect our spiritual position? Because why do I put it like that? Because it's not that the position is stolen. It's the knowledge of it is stolen. So we have to place ourselves to gain this knowledge more and more and more. Luckily, I'm in a situation preparing messages and doing ministry that I get a chance to study this stuff. So what does it look like if you're not in that position? What does it look like for you to protect the knowledge of this? So to me, it's about meditation. And I talked about that. I talked about that last week about what it is to chew on the word of God. What are we chewing on at nighttime? Are we chewing on God or are we chewing on things of ourselves? So what are things that we have to purpose in our lives? And these, this is stuff we do have to purpose. Because I'm telling you, the devil will come in very quickly to tell you that is not who you are. So so what it, so sin in our lives. So willingful sin or unwillingful, not even knowing that you're doing it. What is it going to do? Is it going to take your position? Is that going to cause you to not have this spiritual position? Absolutely not. You still have this position because Jesus died on the cross and he covered that sin. So how does the enemy use the sin to try to make you think he tries to tell you you don't have that position? Because then all of a sudden you feel like you can't hear from God and that there's something standing in the way of, of your relationship with God because of the thoughts of guilt and shame when we sinned. So what is it when, how should then we address stuff that comes in our lives that we do that all of a sudden the enemy closes us in guilt and shame about and we draw back from God? Because that's what it is. It's us drawing back. It's filling a, a spiritual wall between us and God. Receive forgiveness. That's the biggest thing that we'll find in our lives of keeping us in that position of when sin comes into our lives or not even sin. There's things that there's so many other things that we can do that make us feel like we lost communion with God. So you find yourself begging God. You do it. And then all this something happens in your life. And what do you do? You sit. And I've talked about this last week. I think we beg and beg and beg. God, please, God, please. And you work. You're working. What are you doing? You're going back to the law. What did you just do? Now you're trying to take animals and kill them for God. You're trying to do something to attain this position that he said, Jesus gave up everything to carry what you're talking about. And I don't even remember it because he covered it. So what do you say? I receive what Jesus bore. I receive it. Because the moment that we sit in a position of guilt and shame and we allow those things that have happened to us or things in the past that we've done and we sit in that, what do we do? We remove the sacrifice of Jesus. We picked up his cross. And that is the key to where the enemy gets a foothold in our lives. It's the key to where bondages start because we have taken the removal of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus is the only reason we will ever have freedom. We will ever have healing. We will ever have victory. It's all because of that. So when we don't receive forgiveness and we sit in a place of guilt and shame, what do we do? We removed his sacrifice. And that is how the devil gets a foothold. 
because it's a sacrifice that he can't have anything. He can't have no hold because of that blood. He can have no hold because of what Jesus did. But although Jesus did it, because we don't receive it, it gives him hold. And why do I, and I strongly harp on this because I have seen it in many, many women's life, in my own life, that that was an area crippling them. That was an area actually keeping them in it and something in bondage, something is happening because the guilt and shame of something from their, ha- their past where they did not receive forgiveness, they've been stuck, is because it was them not accepting them what Jesus did, as if his sacrifice was not enough to cover it. <clears throat> I want to talk about John 16, 8. It talks about the job of the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will convict and convince the world and bring demonstration to it about sin and about righteousness, uprightness of the heart and right standing with God and about judgment. So what would, should we always expect then if sin has, if there is something in our lives that we have done, then what should we expect? How does the Holy Spirit deal with this? He convicts you of your right standing. He convicts you of your spiritual position. What is the enemy going to do? He's going to condemn you and he's going to tell you this. What should we be listening to? And are we listening? Are we open to that? Are we even hearing from the Holy Spirit? What is, what, how many times are there things that you take in and believe in yourself and you believe it's God? You believe that's the voice of God telling you something. What I'd like to tell you, if something like that happens or something bad happens in your life, that the Holy Spirit's telling you, just know what Jesus did. Jesus covered this and God still wants relationship with you. Don't run from him. Run to him. Run to your father. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's the voice of our comforter. And too many times we are listening to another voice. So talking about protecting it. So it's accepting the forgiveness. Talking about the other tools, about um, accepting forgiveness, about um, speaking the word out, which we've already gone over. That's going to be another tool of protection. Knowing the difference between condemnation and conviction, which I just talked about. Too many times we allow our experiences um, to reflect God in our lives, that we put expectations and cuts on who God is because of things we've gone through in our past. Um, and so just changing our mindset about what he wants to do in our lives and the plans that he has for us and the way that we see him. So I want to talk about a few, and I'm, I'm going to close with this, actually. I want to talk about identifying that we are not living in this reality. What are areas that we lack in and we're going to see happen because we don't walk in, in this spiritual position that we have? Lack of joy and peace. Lack of confidence because we don't know who we are. What is the ideal way to walk in our identity in Christ? To fully have understanding in the spiritual realm what we look like. That we, are, we have been cloaked a certain way. The way that God sees us. Can you... Imagine walking into a room and fully seeing yourself the way we're seen in the spirit realm, the way we're seen to angels, the way we're seen to demons, the way that God sees us. How much confidence would you have? Seriously. So why would that be an area of our life that we lack confidence because we don't understand? We don't understand this position that God has placed on us. Um, boldness in prayer. 
It's another thing. Because like I've said before, we come to God begging him. We come and we stay on the outside of the throne room. Why? Because we don't walk in the spiritual position that we are always in the throne room. That we are always there in front of him. That he always wants us in there. And when we come in, he sees Jesus in front of us. Anything that we have to say to him, he is hearing it through uh, I've put like a hologram of Jesus in front of us. You know, the Satan is called the accuser of the brethren in Revelations. And Jesus is called our advocate. You know that the actual definition of Satan is accuser? And why do I find that so interesting? So how many things in our life do we get accused of? Are we hearing voices of accusation? And what is Jesus doing? Jesus is an advocate. Why his blood is the advocate. What he did on the cross is the advocate. That is what covers all the things that Satan has ever tried to accuse us of. But we need to keep in mind the identity of those two things. Satan the accuser and Jesus our advocate. Insecure and easily offended, another area of your life that you're going to see when you don't um, walk in this comparison and competition with others and negative self-talk. You're going to see at the bottom of your thing is different areas that we find identity. Our identity is women. And the reason that I talk about this is to give us a way to, because no matter what, I don't care like how much... I talk on this stuff, guess what? I still find my identity in a lot of these things. So we're always going to have that. But it's good to bring it back up and deal with it and, re and remind ourselves the areas that we do find identity in. So I'm going to quickly go over this. And, of course, as women, it's physical looks and, and attention from men. Don't even need to go into that. But really, the codependency that we get from men, that we need a man to make us feel a certain way or that we're value. And I know, you know, we were created to want to help me. We were created you know, out of Adam's rib. I know, but there's areas that God can fulfill in us. It doesn't make us who we are, but it is like one of the hardest things of women to come against is that fulfillment that we get from men. Um, relationships, others' opinions, what people think about us, which fear of rejection is going to tie in huge to this. Ministry, <clears throat> so this is that's been a huge thing in my own life of feeling if something wasn't flourishing or happening awesome it's because God was mad at me so um, that's why I put ministry because that was one for me family and children so you I found a lot of women who get into places where they've raised kids their whole life or they've had a family and maybe the kids move out they end up with a divorce and they have no idea who they are and they have to go find themselves again so finding our identity within those things and what it is to you know operate out of the identity that christ has made us to be but still be good mothers and wives and still be able to do those things money possessions things that we have so attention which i mean some people it's attention from other people if they get attention from people they feel like confident that day they feel like they succeeded that day um their status maybe their work status their whatever status that could be uh food somebody else put food in here for me before because that was something that she ran to all the time and she felt that she found identity in it um work what you do for a job and a doctor's diagnosis which has been I used to be very hard for me because I was diagnosed bipolar. So to me, I was bipolar. I was an addict and I was bipolar. Um, and so that's a big one, a doctor's diagnosis. So you'll have these to look over and it's going to be part of your homework. So I want to close with this and I want to close in prayer and then I'm going to go over the homework.